Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 54 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. As ever, I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, maker of disgusting little films, and as it turns out, quite a big fan of carnivorous gastropods. <laughs> you sure are. Yes, and I am. joining us tonight... You know her from the podcast Shotwaves and Nightmare University. You know him from the podcast Fear Initiative. They are both the writers and directors of All the Creatures Were Stunning. It's Rebecca and Dave McKendry. Guys, hello. 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 Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, thank you for doing this. And uh, thank you for bringing us slugs. We obviously have a long and storied history with slugs. Um, So this is an unbridled joy (laughs) to have you guys on and to be talking about slugs. I love that someone refers to slugs as unbridled joy, and um, and I think that's really how we should refer to slugs. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah, I've got no problem with agreeing with that. Now, me and Andy need no excuse to talk about slugs. We do very frequently with zero provocation, but why, obviously, when I first got in touch with you guys about doing this, uh, you sent back a couple of things, and we kind of jumped at slugs and we saw it on the list, but... Um, Tell us a little bit about why you chose it. Well, I had absolutely loved Slugs when I was a kid, which is weird to say, um, because why would a kid be watching Slugs? But my parents kind of um, let me watch whatever I wanted to at video stores, which is probably why I turned out like I did. <laughs> and um, so I saw Slugs at a ridiculously young age. My parents did not let me watch what I wanted to watch, so that's probably why I turned out why I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely polar opposite, whereas my parents were – ex-hippies who were kind of like, let her be free. She can do what she wants. Dave's parents were strict and still are very strict Catholics. And Dave was not allowed to uh, say they're not strict Catholics anymore. But they were they they (laughs) were definitely very strict Catholics at the time. My mom moved out to Los Angeles and became uh, more liberal. Yeah, she's way L.A. now. (laughs) Time Dave wasn't allowed to uh, do all the fun stuff that I could like eat sugary cereal and watch ridiculous amounts of horror movies. Um, But I had seen Slugs at a super young age and absolutely loved it. It was gory. It was, you know, it had this weird tone to it. I knew that it felt off from all of the other horror films that I was watching at the time, far before I could ever, um, you know, kind of vocalize why it felt off or anything like that. It just felt different. And um, so I became kind of obsessed with it from a young age. And then um, when I went to college, Um, My undergrad, I started as an entomology major. I have always loved insects, any type of gastropods, anything that kind of falls into, we'll call it bugs, although even that's incorrect um, category. I just, I love studying insects across the board and the idea of them being killer, I've always found so amusing. So any type (laughs) of insect movies in general, I absolutely love. I ended up switching my, uh, by my sophomore year, I discovered that though I love bugs, I don't love organic chemistry um, (laughs) at all. And um, decided instead I would switch at the time I was film and entomology and I dropped the entomology and went to theater and film. Um, which has led me down my current career path. For me, there was just so much imagery to this film that stuck with me. Uh, like the the lettuce scene has right. always bothered me. Yeah, and, we even and... we even rewatched it a couple of days ago um, in prep for this, and the lettuce scene came up, and for some reason, that was Dave's most horrific oh, moment. Yeah, yeah, I still to this day, if I'm cutting up a head of lettuce, I am in- examining it thoroughly. <laughs> <laughs> Slugs literally burst from a guy's eyeball, but the most horrifying yeah. thing for you is a cross section of a slug. Oh uh, yeah, and then when she, when then they describe it as anchovies in the salad. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> Why is that so intrigued? Why is that so horrifying? I'm so intrigued. I think it's any horror movie where the thing is inside of you and then bursts out. 
like right. uh, like Alien or um, that scene from Creepshow, mm-hmm. Creepshow, right. the cockroach, the cockroach scene from Creepshow. Anything where it's inside your body and it just burrows its way out just disturbs me so much, and I love it. But it's just still, <laughs> it still just gets me. So, quick time check here, Dave. When did you watch Slugs? Oh God, I was probably in middle school or just starting high school at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a video store down the down the street from where I lived, and um, they didn't really question what I checked out. So I would get videos from there and sneak them home, and then when my parents were asleep, I would I would watch them, um, and that was one of them. It was a really big um, video store title yeah. here. I remember it being Big Box, mm-hmm. so that it came in this massive box, <laughs> and the cover image of it was um, a woman laying on the floor with blood coming out of her mouth and this slug just crawling away. And it was actually like a photograph, like most of the stuff that we saw in the video stores with this like amazing, impressive artwork. This was like an actual photograph. And that definitely sold me on the movie Mm -hmm. just as much as the, hey, it's a slug. I love slugs. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Mitch, you uh, certainly came to slugs a bit more recently. Uh, Yeah, it was last year. Like I I, I was, um, uh, I'm quite far behind in general. I came to horror quite late comparatively to, to a lot of people. So I've been playing catch up with a lot of things over the last few years. And um, yeah, Andy has not. Andy knows way more than I do. And basically I got crash course on a bunch of things um, from about the beginning of last year onwards. And this was one of them. Excellent. Well, first reactions, How? what was it like seeing it at a later age? Um, so yeah, I would have been, I guess, 31 when I saw it. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I immediately loved it. And we watched it a few times since. And that love has only grown exponentially since then. That's amazing. I always wonder if like I watched it now as an adult would i find it to be incredibly campy or um would i still be with it for the full ride like i have a feeling i would still find it as amusing as i did then but um yeah yeah well, those things i found out I, I learned later from it that um watching it later that i didn't know at the time but it's it's a very spanish movie upstate new york new york but there are some times where it's like Meanwhile, in Spain, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> obviously we're not in New York anymore. Um, but yeah, and uh, that it, it had a style to it. Like I, I didn't understand why the, the women in it were depicted so sexy. Yeah, it's just this over sexuality, uh, sexuality to the women there, and I, I realized that 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 was where it came from. Well, yeah. I've since um, I picked up the novels much much later, um, and and I have both Slugs and Breeding Ground. Though I've only <laughs> read Breeding Ground, I haven't read the original novel, The Slugs. Right. Um, and it does not have nearly the sexuality that we see in the movie. Oh, definitely um, not. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, like what I have read of Slugs just kind of flipping through it, it does not seem to have nearly kind of the same amount of teenagers aren't in there. It's much more kind of contained. It's set in the UK and kind of like a small um, English town. Mm. And it does not feel quite as um, sexy as this movie does in a lot of ways. Right, right, right. Also, much incredibly slender book doesn't outstay its welcome, much like the film. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I? Guys, before we really get into this, um, we make everybody that comes on uh, do this one thing. Basically, what we do is, for the benefit of anyone who's listening that uh, hasn't seen the film... Uh, we basically look for a guest. Andy will count you in, or I'll count you in, should I say, and we'll give you 30 seconds to um, basically pitch slugs, a synopsis. Killer slugs. (laughs) That kind of sums it up. I would get more in depth, and I would say... In a small suburban town, slugs come in contact with nuclear waste and become carnivorous. Right, well, that's uh, that's a very lean eight <laughs> seconds. Yeah, I really feel like slugs you could kind of sell in the room. Like, they're slugs, but they eat people. And that's about it. You... Um, like, there, there's not much else that needs to uh, <laughs> kind of go into the pitch there because there's not a lot of not enough other elements that I would consider to be that tantalizing. There's some boobs. Sure, um, yeah. So we've got killer slugs and a couple of boobs. A couple of boobs. A couple of boobs. <laughs> it's weird that if it's an odd number of boobs. Yeah, I know. <laughs> there's also there's, there's also um there's also um a riveting city planning b uh, b story that I don't think's getting enough airspace here. <laughs> there's a couple of them. I mean, because we've got um they do set up. Well, it's it's interesting that the movie kind of paces itself a little bit like Jaws at first, where we have the two kids on the boat. 
and one of them dies. So it feels a little bit Jaws-ish at the beginning. Yep. Um, and then one of, whereas instead of Chief Brady, um, <laughs> we have Mike, or sorry. Health Inspector Brody? Health yeah. Inspector Brady. Brody. Brody. Yeah. Chief Brody, and we have Health Inspector Brody. Brady. Um, Brady. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a very similar name, but he sets up, it's set up in very much the same way where he's like, we got a problem, Mayor. It's the slugs. They're eating people. And he's like, no, they're not. And so it's set up very thing, much the same. Everybody doubts everyone in this film. Oh, my God, like, yeah. You say one thing, they doubt you. And then, okay, now I'm on board. And the only <laughs> like, one who seems to have an even slight clue is the um, the English professor. Oh, John. Very, yeah, John. Yeah, the, the witch, yeah. It's very much like, oh, well, these are the parasites of slugs. And then they're pretty much like, no, that's witchcraft. And then they just walk away from it. <laughs> I don't think... It's it... the whole freaking movie. And he's literally watching a slug eat a hamster. Like, if he had a cell phone at time period he could have just snapped a picture and the whole thing would have been like taken care of right then okay slugs are eating people end of story can we talk about how many films are out there where the health inspector gets to be the hero health inspectors are really the unsung heroes i think of cinema yeah. but this Even one it, it definitely feels very josh is in <laughs> the Slugs are eating people. And for some reason, even after these deaths, I love that the slugs completely seem to disappear. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So like they have decimated the um, the homeless man at the beginning or the guy whose who's state or whose home is like in a state of disrepair. Um, they decimate him. They decimate those two teens, one of whom looks a lot like Sammy Hagar. I've got yeah, him written as a, a blonde Dave Mustaine. Exactly. Yeah, yeah he definitely um, he does. He's got this very swarthy metal quality to him. I got a little obsessed him. and I tried to track him down. I haven't found <laughs> any whereabouts. But Slugs was the last film he did, and uh, he hasn't. He's been, like a he math teacher in Poughkeepsie Probably. now. But yeah, so I'm just hoping he still has his great hair. That's, that's, that's it's some good hair. Um, but the slugs all seem to disappear from the scene of the crime. So it's like two teens eaten in the state of coitus, but then all the slugs disappear <laughs> by all, the time that they get there. With um, alarming but, velocity. Yeah, yeah, they're quick. These, those little buggers can move, apparently. Huh? And yeah, and the same thing. Well, I mean, in the greenhouse, the house explodes. I was still confused why they had gasoline in the greenhouse, but that's cool. We'll go with it. <laughs> and um, the slug. I was pretty impressed that they could blow up a house on this uh, this budget. So that yeah, no, that and the explosion was really good. Where you could tell, like the whole roof caught on fire. It was pretty impressive. Dave, I think um, you're forgetting that they blew up a town at the end. Yeah, is... this is true. They do because the only way to defeat the the slugs in the sewer is to blow up the entire thing. So they have <laughs> to like everything, blow up, the blow up the surface of the water, and then at the end, these single slugs still crawling. <laughs> I also want to talk just very briefly about the bite force of these slugs. They seem to mm. have a bite force equal to a bobcat or some other large biting mammal. They, they, they bite a man on the finger to such an extent that he's forced to chop off his entire hand. I loved the scene, and I, we talked about that one, how it was just, you know, whatever pain was going on. One, he was not able to pull his own glove off to even see what it was, but two, that it was so extreme whatever this bite pain was that he felt compelled to chop off his own hand. I mean, that's a hell of a decision. From the, and not leave the greenhouse at all. Never once does he Maybe go and get his wife. medical attention. He just, okay, well, this is happening. I guess I have to chop this, off my own hand. His love is defective. I have to chop off my hand. But my favorite um, scene with the two kids in the bedroom, the guy literally, Sammy Hagar, steps on the floor, lifts up his foot, and there is one attached to his toe. <laughs> and he starts feverishly trying to pull it off. And no matter how hard he pulls, that slug will not come off of his toe. But we do get a ball shot in that scene. We oh, do. Yeah. We do. Yeah, we definitely do. Testicles. Yeah. There is brief testicle action. So five boobs in a testicle. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I believe that was a working title. Yeah. <laughs> There's your pitch. But I just love how he is using all of his like bristling Sammy Hagar-ish muscles to pull that single slug off of his toe. And it's like extended and stretching, but it's jaws. It's pincer-like quality on his toe will not budge. Um, it's an interesting uh, thing that it's now a burrowing creature. In yeah. Skin. Like before they were just biting. Now it's burrowing. Mm -hmm. Like it was 
it into the foot. Yeah. And uh, so now they, they've progressed and um, to the point where when that girl falls in, they like literally um, like devour her entire mm -hmm. face in a matter of seconds. And I'm also intrigued how in the course, I mean, we know that slugs move a little slowly sure. um, in the course of those two kids um, having the whiskey downstairs on the bar coming upstairs to the bedroom and having sex for, you know, we'll, we'll give them an hour. It's but generous, but okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very generous. It's very generous. Oh, um, and an ass. And then, oh, we do have, we do have, we do have fun in that scene. Um, he but he somehow, fucks up to tears. She does cry. <laughs> yeah, she does. She does cry, which is, um, yeah, she does I'm not sure if that cry. was a character choice or the actress, but. <laughs> actually, if you look close, um, you can actually see some of the garbage bags. I was reading the actual little booklet that comes with the fancy um, Arrow UK release. Mm -hmm. And um, it talks about how you can actually see some of the trash bags in that scene that they'd laid down for the slugs to be on, which I'd never actually noticed before until um, Mike Gingold wrote the write-up. And then I was mm -hmm. like, oh, you can see the trash bags, but I'd never noticed it because they're the same color as the slugs. Um, but then when the police show up, you see that the rug is like, crazy crazy shag and then you realize that yeah it was they trash bags the, yeah the, uh, but now are these pervy slugs like they they were hanging out there for a while while these guys were going at it well they didn't make it up the bed yet they like they would have they would have i don't know they hadn't moved vertical yeah. yet but um i think that but in both the kind of in the very opening scene when the kind of the old guy gets killed by the slugs and also when um Donna and uh, Sammy Hagar get killed by the slugs. They amass in that scene. I think that's maybe what you were going to say. They kind of amass in complete silence. But like by the time that they're kind of biting Bobby um, in that scene, the floor is literally carpeted with slugs. And uh, yep. they've just managed to do that with nobody noticing. Well, they're not known for the noise. That's, that's true. The silent killer. The silent killer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess none of them are going to knock over a lampshade on the way in, I don't suppose. <laughs> I just, I love how it kind of, how slowly it progresses through the town. And the effects, the effects are what carry this for me. Um, if it was just people seeing the slugs and then we cut away, um, like a lot of other movies I do, and I feel like there was definitely an inclination to do, but this movie doesn't do it. It shows full out. I mean, like we have a slug with fangs lunging at someone's hand in close up. <laughs> That's one of my favorite scenes in, in cinema. That was the first time I saw that. It was I was truly shocked. And the guy who did the effects on this, like he did Aliens, he did a bunch of other of um, Jean-Pierre Simon stuff. He did The Rift, which is also oh, yeah. the movie. Um, the Rift is it's a so-so movie, but the effects are just phenomenal in it. Um, just amazing creature work. And, and so, I mean, they definitely got somebody who knew what he was doing and it is the slugs and the gore effects that sell this movie for me. And you can, you can say what you like about pieces, um, which we've also done in the show. Uh -huh. Um, mm -hmm. but I mean, pieces doesn't pull any punches, whether the, the effects are truly effective in pieces is yeah. debatable. But certainly, again, he, he goes all out in the films that he makes. Yeah, the film, I liked Pieces. It's still, it's a blast of a movie. It's got some wonky moments, but even, you know, when she's screaming bastards in the most campy <laughs> way possible, it's still great. I oh, love yeah. that movie. It's weird to call that like a watch that before bedtime movie because it is so extreme. But yeah, it's kind of, um, it's fun. Yeah, oh, it certainly is. I think what do we just to talk briefly about the kind of the characters here? What's what do we take? What do we think of Mike as kind of uh, you know like uh, health inspector Mike as the hero of the beast? What do we think of him? Mike honestly has the least arc of any of the characters. <laughs> I think fair because we and he has the least backstory too because we understand his wife is going through all these issues where she's getting older and she doesn't consider herself attractive compared to that other cheerleader girl who drinks too much. Yeah, sure. um, and so we get this like very vivid kind of emotional portrayal of everything that his wife is going through and um, teaching and how the students don't like her, but she she's a very strict teacher. And we get all this backstory about her. Mike is literally just like, yeah, um, so there's some slugs in the sewer eating people. No, no, really, there are. No, there are. And it doesn't really... Yeah. She comes off more as uh, she should be the hero of this film because we know so much about her. But she's a woman. <laughs> so Mike is there to uh, guide her, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And she is... Carry 
plug in the jar to the scientist. <laughs> she is also disparaged at every turn by every character who talks about her. Yeah, yeah. Like, everyone is like, she's the, the bitch of the West. And, <laughs> oh, she's not as pretty as the other girl. Um, like, what's up with her? She's gorgeous. And, and yeah, and she's clearly a good teacher. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like, I found her backstory far more interesting than Mike. I completely yeah. agree. And, Mitch, if your question was, do we think Mike's a good actor, then the answer is clearly no. <laughs> well, no. With Mike and the, the sewer worker, there's a soap opera quality to the both of them. <laughs> they, they have a, their look and the way they act comes across as being very soap opera. Oh, uh -huh. I'm a uh, uh, Don. Don, Don. I really like Don. Don has a proper story arc as well. He obviously... You get to see a real insight into Don's very loving relationship with his wife and children. And children, yeah, you see, you see a lot of Don, and it actually it's more affecting seeing Don die than if it was actually Mike that had died. Yeah, <laughs> it, I mean, Don feels very much like a self-sacrifice. Like we feel his death more than most of the other characters. I feel. Yep, yep, I totally agree. I think actually, see, um, just before he dies, kind of in the sewer. I said to Andy, um, when he's kind of explaining to his wife where he's going to go, he makes the fatal mistake of making plans for after the war. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, how about when I get back from this thing, you and me get naked and crazy? It's like, oh, no, 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 no. Nope, nope. no that's happening. the equivalent of saying I'm retiring tomorrow and I bought a boat. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But what disturbs me about him, though, is when he goes down to the sewer that first time, he's wearing a mask and gloves, or a mask and goggles, and he takes them off. Like to immediately start pulling things at head level out of a pipe him. towards him with a hook. Yeah, <laughs> he's literally pulling these hunks of fetid meat, and he has just <laughs> taken off his mask and goggles to do so. Yeah. So bad, bad, Don. Very unsanitary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, one of the things I find kind of most puzzling about this movie is the soundtrack. Oh yeah, um, because it's it's all over the place. Like this is the one. If I was giving my like executive notes, I would have been like, okay, guys, great effects, um, story's okay. It's exactly what we asked for. It's it's killer slugs. Okay, good job on that. But the soundtrack, um, like the opening song, sounds like Bernard Herrmann wrote it. Like they're really pushing for this like crazy psycho score, mm -hmm. and then it goes like lounge music, and yeah. then for a while it kicks in with like a duopy, and then at times it gets these heavy metal notes, and then it goes back to this Bernard Horm Herrmann crazy strings, and then there's some synth in it. It's all over the place. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. There's moments where it's, like you say, where there's real, real sexy sax music. At times that mm -hmm. there's nothing particularly sexy happening. Nope, not a bit. Yeah, <laughs> bonkers. Yeah, it's weird, like, sexy jazz of, like, slow jam, like, guys should be driving in a taxi through the New York City streets. Yeah. And instead, it's just, like, guy in suburbia looking at, like, zoning plans and things like <laughs> Like, it's really weird. This um. So yeah, the soundtrack is the one thing where, that I point to and I'm kind of like, you could have done a little bit better there. Yeah, right at the end when um, uh, Mike kind of uh, has the kind of emotional reunion with Kim, the soundtrack completely inexplicably just kind of pivots into something that sounds like an 80s sitcom theme. Yep. It totally does. It does. <laughs> yeah, or like, uh, like a kind of Cagney and Lacey style theme. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, they did. They were. I, you could see that they were really trying to set Mike and Don up as kind of like the buddy cop thing, where they're constantly like ribbing each other about their jobs, and this is the sewer guy, and um, things like that. But then it fell apart, and then I wasn't too sure if they were trying to bring that back at the end with like the buddy cop thing, where one has yeah. sacrificed him. It, it felt weird. Mm -hmm. um, but they were trying to play it up with music, but hadn't really delivered it story wise as much. Well, Don's death is immediately forgotten as soon as Kim turns up. Yeah. <laughs> it could just be that it just wasn't that well planned out. Yeah, I feel I feel a bit yeah. bad that there's not really a proper poor one out for uh, for Don moment. Poor Don. I know. He needed more. He really did. Like, we should have gotten, like, a memorial for him at the end, I feel like. Yeah. Rebecca, something you said there, I mean, obviously you said that kind of Mike as a character is pretty one-dimensional, and I think that his actions are generally driven way more by plot than character. And I think that because of that, there's a long stretch in the film where you, a lot of the time you feel like what you're watching is him just zigzagging on the map. But what I love is that so much of the time, so much of the runtime of this film is spent seeing him kind of pull up outside places in a car, 
having like coming clattering down the road and clattering into a driveway. And he always just I love the fact that he there's just like an unbelievable sense of urgency through the whole thing. Yep. He's running the uh, the, the slug, slug in a jar. <laughs> yeah, we, that was the, our favorite scene because they they see all the slugs. One takes a swipe at him, and then it's it's like the slug may as well be on fire. Um, <laughs> that he pulls out of his driveway is just kid on bike. Be damned! We have a slug in a jar. <laughs> um, and then from that point, like after he sees that moment. He does not stop for the rest of the movie. Is he? If he is pulling into the driveway, there is a serial killer inside. Is like the urgency that he is moving. If- I love that he hands it to the scientists and they're talking about the slug. And he he asks the scientists, "Can can slugs be Can slugs eat meat?" Yep. And the guy's like, "What? Are you crazy? What are you asking me?" And then a few seconds later, "Well, there is this slug that has been known <laughs> to eat meat." <laughs> yeah. It's like, but some do eat frogs and worms. And yeah. we were like, you just said no. So, um, yeah. He's like, "Oh, they're the size. They're, 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 they're the size of your thumb, mate. Don't be ridiculous." Um. Yeah. Oh, but there is that one that definitely does. <laughs> Which is not true. Slugs are not the size of your thumb. The even the slugs that they used in the movie. Um, this is this is my very rudimentary entomology knowledge from two semesters worth of work coming out. Um, <laughs> but the slugs that they use in the movie, the common black slug that we find all over America, and that I think you guys have all over the UK as mm-hmm. well. Um, it's one of the most common slugs in the world. They get huge. They get like six inches long. So um, they 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 can get quite massive. I remember Dave and I, um, one of the apartments that we had in college, it was what they call a garden apartment, which essentially means it's like sunken down below ground basement. level. It's in the basement. Um <laughs> And uh, because it's below ground level, the porch, which is underground, basically, which pretty much looks like a bunker. It looks like a bunker, <laughs> yeah. Like when you walk out on the porch, your eyes are like ground level, um, and so it's really sunk down. But they called it garden style um, to make it sound all fancy. But because it was sunken down, we would get rain down there, and it would stay damp, like it was permanently damp okay. in our porch slash bunker and we would get these giant fucking slugs down there that were like four inches long Mm -hmm. and it was just common black slugs and even like on the west coast now we have they were um, delicious and salad yeah yeah um but we also have banana slugs in certain regions as well which are these giant long yellow things so delicious Um, yeah it's so delicious you know i don't taste like bananas (laughs) (laughs) i would eat a lot of insects but i don't know if i could eat a slug snail yeah okay actually you're right we have eaten snails and i did that i feel like why do i consider slugs grosser than snails i because of the lettuce scene no it isn't it's like i don't know snails i look at as kind of cute slugs are all mucus (laughs) i feel like the shell lends the snail a level of gravitas that the poor slug doesn't have it doesn't possess that i don't know the slug gives them an air of superiority (laughs) for sure (laughs) well i have a snail shell and you are just yeah so true i don't know i always look at snails as adorable and slugs as kind of gross and um Maybe it's the titling as well. Like yeah. slug is just kind of a gross name to begin with. Yeah, they're pretty irredeemable. I actually used to live in a, in a flat with my, my ex-girlfriend um, and we had slugs that used to come up through the, the you know, the little drain in the sink, that oh. the kind of mm-hmm. overflow drain. We used to get slugs up in there so you'd go to get a glass and there'd be a big slug sitting oh, wow. on it. And... So that's the thing. They would actually come through the plumbing system? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's something I could, I could speak to the veracity of that. Oh wow! Like we did when we Dave and I, yeah, when Dave and I lived in New York City, <laughs> the roaches would crawl up through the bathtub drains all the time, which was just absolutely horrifying. Because you'd open up your shower and you'd find roaches, like one. They called them water bugs because they would crawl up through the drains, but they would just be these like roaches the size of hamsters that you would like see in your bathtub all the time, and then you'd freak out and rinse them back down. But I've never seen a slug th- call through the drain. That's amazing that that's a thing, that's a and thing. I'm sure that in the book so i'm sure that that's why yeah 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 i'm going to say that uh i find calling a roach a water bug um as again i guess what the snail has done um in an attempt <laughs> yeah. to set to distance itself from what is essentially the same 
creature. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and if you go down to Florida here, they call them palmetto bugs. It's still just a damn roach. roach but yeah. in New York, I remember um, we would complain to our landlord all the time that we were getting um, roaches crawling up through the plumbing system because they're supposed to have these like stoppers. I don't even know what they're called. Like little grates. They, they were supposed up. to have these little grates in the plumbing system to keep the things from crawling back up through the drains. And um, we used to complain to our landlord all the time that if these things were getting through, we clearly did not have that little great thing and he would always be like oh well they're not roaches they're water bugs and we're like no it's the same damn thing it's just big <laughs> coming up I, I remember i hit one with a shoe once and <laughs> it, just, it, it, me off. it like flipped me off and ran I remember <laughs> that. It came into the apartment and there was one that had crawled up through the drain and it was sitting on the wall really close to the um the bathtub drain and dave literally threw a shoe at it and it looked at him like it was pissed off and then kept running. And then it that was the night I remember. I'm pretty sure it had a gun. It may have had a gun. <laughs> that, that was the night I but, bummed down my house. No, it, it was because we come in um, from an event. We were at a movie and it was super late. And Dave went to the drugstore. We found a 24-hour drugstore. And at like 2 a.m. that night, he came back with literally like a tote bag full of powders <laughs> and sprays and traps. And like we basically kind of like nuclear the apartment <laughs> and then we didn't find any more for a really long time. But I remember it was like a 2 a.m. effort of, well, that one was like the size of a gerbil. Fuck that. <laughs> and we just put down everything. Speaking of gerbils, just when you said that, it put me in mind of a scene that um, we talked about when we were watching it just now. We rewatched it right before we came up to do this. And um, one of my favorite, I actually want to talk about how this actually unfolds, as in how they did it. Because um, the scene where John, uh, who is kind of doing some late night lab tests on slugs, sure. turns his back for one minute and one of the slugs get in, gets into the hamster's cage and seems to kind of mm -hmm. attack it and strangle it. <laughs> yes. It, I, well, I, it's on its back. And from best I can tell, it looks like they literally glued a fake slug to a hamster. Yeah, that was a, that had to be a real hamster. I mean, because oh, it's yeah. walking, on, and you can tell that it's really having problems walking with whatever jazz they have glued onto its back. Yeah, and it's slimy and bloody, and I I can only assume that the hamster was okay because um, I was reading when I was reading in some of the research, it talked about how they actually went to really great care to not have a lot of slugs die in the process of this movie. <laughs> Unlike when um, I talked to director Jeff Lieberman about Squirm, he was talking about how, you know, in death, he's going to be haunted by the souls of like thousands of worms that they murdered for that movie. <laughs> um, no worm. slugs were harmed. But in... we killed our gerbil, so... <laughs> <laughs> the hamster uh, but I, yeah so i i'm hoping that the uh the hamster lived through it i'm pretty sure that that the slug that gets uh sliced open with the scalpel by john i'm pretty sure that looked that looked very realistic yeah. yeah there was another one the ones in the drain that he was hitting with the pot <laughs> he's over the frying pan <laughs> those ones looked real too and they were leaving like actual like he would hit them and then they would have like actual innards, like slug innards yeah. there. And you could see them kind of fall away. Like I have a feeling those were real as well. But the ones in the lettuce looked like uh, one of those candies with juice in the center of it. It did. It looked like <laughs> a licorice candy. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it really, it really does. <laughs> I want to talk about um, uh, one of my favorite B-tier characters in this for a sec. Are you going to talk about Sheriff Reese? I love Sheriff Reese. I love the fact that every single thing that he does feels like it's ruining his day. Oh my gosh, yeah. No, I, he is he is um, one of my favorite characters. We don't get enough Sheriff Reese mm. action. No, he's never yeah. done anything again. Really? No, no. Well, I, I, was, I was reading that a lot of these folks were brought in from like community theater. Oh, um, okay. That they were all local actors within the area. Like some of the major characters were were actually like real actors and actresses, professional. I won't say real, real. I'll say professional. <laughs> They're all real, but professional um, have been doing this for a stretch. But that a lot of the smaller characters were local um, thespians that were brought in for the movie. And uh, so, yeah, I guess that explains him. And maybe that explains Bobby as well. But they all kind of look to them that like, I had seen them somewhere else before, and maybe that was just a soap opera quality to everybody in the mm -hmm. in this movie. But you looked at one person, you're like, I know I've seen him in something else. But you haven't, because we looked it up, <laughs> yeah. and most of the time, you haven't. And um, But yeah, everyone, they did have this kind of soap opera look to them. 
And I really liked the storyline of the goat killer. I wish we'd kept that going too. I don't remember the goat killer. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's this ongoing conversation that kind of like you every now and again you cut back to this kind of tangential group of punk kids with that the when the arc follows them through the Halloween party. But yeah, pretty much every time you see them, they're talking about the goat killer. Yeah, it's um there was a quick scene with the kids at the diner where one of the girls is like, Oh, well, so and so died. It was the goat killer. And everybody's like, what's the goat killer? And she says that it's like this crazed guy who comes down from the hills and kills people and like wears the flesh of his victims or something like that. And then everybody at the table, instead of responding to the story, they accuse her of being psychopathic and saying she needs help. (laughs) Uh, And so instead of like, cool story, Marsha, it's like, oh, man, you're sick. What the hell's wrong with you? You need professional help. Everybody Um, in this town is wrong about everything. I know. (laughs) um, So it was not the goat killer, but I really liked that storyline and wish we'd done a bit more with it. It came up a couple times. Yeah. There's a Halloween theme to this? So Dave and I did not notice the Halloween theme until – the scene where um, he is uh, sitting at the table. At this, uh, the restaurant in Madrid. <laughs> yep. And he takes a sip of his water and the blood starts pouring out of his nose. So right as that happened, Dave goes, there's a little plastic pumpkin on the table. And then we rewound it back and looked. And there was. It was like it was like a centerpiece, but it wasn't really like a centerpiece. It was like somebody stuck a tiny. a golf ball. Yeah, it was like the size of a golf ball. And it was just like. <laughs> a pumpkin on like a cocktail stirrer and we were kind of, but it was a jack-o'-lantern so we were suddenly like is it halloween like we had not really made the connection because it was set in upstate new york and they also go out of their way to establish it as spring um where everyone has these lush gardens and stuff's sure. blooming yeah and the, some of the scenes the leaves are falling from the trees so. yeah and so it was um but the pumpkin was the first time that we went, wait, is it supposed to be Halloween? So apparently that was um, a plot line that we missed. Well, the hall- the party later on, um, obviously there's a whole power of unpleasantness goes on at that party, but certainly it's a Halloween party. There's a there's a truck yeah. sitting that has a jack-o'-lantern, like a lit jack-o'-lantern yeah. just, well, pl- just plonked on top. And no one really... Oh, yeah, okay. we get a little bit of Halloween stuff in the third act where it's like the haphazard Halloween party. Um, but we didn't notice it being Halloween until a good three quarters of the way through the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. If you're going to have a horror movie on Halloween, you kind of play up the Halloween aspect we of it We may have more. just missed it. Um, I don't know. And then suddenly I, I, I notice like the cocktail the stir. Actor and all that, you should, you should probably play up the, the Halloween aspect yeah. a bit more. <laughs> It's all about subversion. Well, nobody. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Less is more. Nobody has a costume. I think there's one guy clearly has a kind of skeleton mask, and one other mm-hmm. person that I I watched quite closely for wearing a mask. So you can be forgiven for not necessarily connecting the dots that it's Halloween beyond the jack o' lantern. Yeah, it was it was definitely an understated thing. But that could have been an interesting um, like tone to set the whole movie in that it is leading up to this giant Halloween party. It, like it would have been a um, a very interesting push for so it. So who's a slug and who's just dressed as a slug for Halloween? <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, I love the final sewer moment of this because it does feel like such a grandiose climax. It does kind of bring, like, we are literally going to blow up the world at the end. And the scene where he falls into the the pit of water, the giant um, vat of water, and mm-hmm. you just see all the slugs swimming around him. Which, admittedly, I don't think that slugs can swim. I'm pretty sure they will drown. Mm. Um, but that said... We have a giant, even though that slugs are attracted to liquid, I don't think that you can fully submerge one and have it survive, but okay. I'm not sure on that. Um, maybe there are some that live under, well, sea slugs, but they're well, a little different. I kind of wanted them to do that thing where they just put a big pool of beer uh-huh. somewhere out. It would have fixed the whole problem, right? Yeah. If we just fill a kiddie pool with beer and then yeah. slug problem solved. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that scene at the end in the sewer, it really does make it feel vast. And the idea of being submerged in this giant vat of water with all these slugs swimming around is truly horrifying. Cool. And so it really does. Um, it's it's a wonderfully grandiose ending where we literally are blowing up the underbelly of the town. I also think that like when um, my kind of makes that kind of attempt to like kind of big last attempt to save dawn i think that's a really good sequence as well mm-hmm. when he's like no, kind of trying to reach up to grab him and he's getting dragged under and the water's kind of bubbling up with blood and things i think all that stuff's great 
Yeah, that no, I love the ending of this movie so much, and and even just our postmodern, um, you know, it does not end with the slug still slithering across the grate. It's just wonderful. I wish somebody would make Breeding Ground into a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to drop off a controversial opinion here. Okay. Uh huh. I actually find the ending less satisfying than the journey to get there. I oh. I, I have such a great time. I would say. Up until the point where he kind of reunites with Dawn. And Mm -hmm. then I I always find myself like, and I find the stuff with the party doesn't really add anything. And that's all kind of interlaced with the kind of final standoff with the slugs, if you like. And I I, I always kind of find my attention wavering a little bit towards in that last kind of 15 minutes, maybe. No, and I will agree with you. Um, By the time we do get into the sewers, so it feels grandiose and giant and we're blowing up the town... Um, I mean, they don't really stick the landing as much on delivering plot um, because at that point it completely stops advancing and it just becomes how can we blow up the slugs? <laughs> yeah. I do think that the kind of the uh, the kind of the entire party plotline kind of runs aground without really without without adding much value. I don't think it, it actually adds nothing. Uh, some more chat about the goat killer, which that's the, the film's central mystery, Mitch. Yeah, I, I want an in-universe film about the goat killer. <laughs> I think we do need a goat killer movie because he comes down from the hills um, and, and kills every. No, they never explain why he's the goat killer, but yeah, the goat killer—it's it's an interesting plot line that just falls off. I yeah. feel like that's somebody's job on a farm, anyway. <laughs> what do you think of the uh, tangential plot strand, Mitch? About the there's like the big deal to build. A, I think it's a shopping mall. I think that. Um, it's really funny how much time the actual kind of meat and potatoes of the negotiations about this deal, like how much screen time that gets after David dies. I also think, like, I don't want to burn right through this thing without talking about the fact that um, David's death in the restaurant is one of the best moments in the film, I think, for me, from like from the entire it way is, it's seated to the way that it plays out. And, and apparently um, that was one of the key scenes that they knew that they wanted to include from the get-go when they were talking about how to make this really gory. They wanted to have um, slugs exploding from someone's eyeballs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, they thought that that would be by far the coolest thing. And I'm inclined to agree. No, his death in general, how it starts with the nosebleed and the headaches and you know what's coming. And then eventually having the way that it builds with blood pouring out of his nose. And then he literally rips his own face off. <laughs> yeah. Um, is just wonderful. My bothers me about his death, though, is that up until this point, we're showing these these slugs as very quick killers. Yeah, like they get in there and they just, they just rip people well, apart. But for him, it took a couple of days. Well, that's because it wasn't the slugs; it was the parasites that live in the slug's abdomen, which also grew to un- unusual proportions and also became carnivorous. So yeah, as these so we, slugs wow. became carnivorous from the radioactive waste, the parasites that live in the slug's abdomen also became carnivorous. You read into this movie far more than I <laughs> they, they, they straight up. But that was like the point where you're like, seriously, people just listen to the damn scientists because there is a man in a restaurant that is covered in little parasite writhing nematode things that are, you know, just literally burst out of his eyeball the the British scientist who has been the only one who's been right so far is like, well, these are parasites, nematode things are only found in the digestive tract of slugs. And everyone is still like, oh, well, that's silly, dude. What are you talking about? <laughs> and there's no slugs here. And that's it. I can, and um, literally explodes in a restaurant. I can kind of understand people's unwillingness to trust the opinion of opinions of experts in this time, though, because right at the start when uh, the old man dies, the sheriff finds a guy with his entire face missing and all of his internal organs gone and blames raccoons. And <laughs> yeah. um, when Dave dies in the restaurant, um, a, a kind of barrage of uh, experts also turn up and diagnose him clawing his own face off and having a nest of slugs explode, explode from his eyeballs as a consequence of food poisoning. <laughs> Yep, food poisoning. And so this whole town is hilariously stupid. (laughs) I would also like to say that I vaguely remember Kim Brady taking Mike to the school to meet this this scientist guy. Mm -hmm. So I think he's actually a high school teacher. Oh, is he? Okay, see, I always perceived him as college because he's like... 
he refers to him as kind of otherworldly, like your weird scientist friend. <laughs> um, he's very dismissive of him at the beginning. And then they walk in and his lab that he has set up goes far beyond high school. And how many high school science teachers um, could look at a worm and go, why that's the nematode parasite from the digestive tract of a slug um, is beyond me. Like this guy seems to know an awful lot about slugs. I think he's in cahoots. He's in cahoots, totally. (laughs) I'm also going to speculate that English is not that actor's first language. (laughs) <laughs> I think you're probably um, right on that. No, that, that was we were having fun while we were watching the movie, trying to figure out which actors were clearly Spanish and which ones <laughs> were American. Um, and also where each scene was set. This is clearly upstate New York. This is clearly Spain. Uh-huh. Um, you really could feel both in there. And apparently, um, John Peter Simon did not speak a lot of English with this. So he was directing through a translator. Which I can't even imagine how difficult that mm-hmm. must be. But apparently he got the performances he wanted and uh, and, and the film did well for him. These were American actors. Some for of the them. They're American the most part. actors. And, and usually when, uh, I know when the Italians did this, they would have uh, the actors mouthing the words or just saying the words and not knowing what they're saying. And then they would dub, but this yeah, one yeah. Um, is, is, they actually were speaking yeah. English through most of it. It was like an American production with parts of it in Spain. Mm-hmm. Although there is some pretty funny ADR stuff going on, and particularly I would say the first kind of, just verging on the first sex scene between Mike and Kim, where there is some oh, yeah. incredibly loud groaning. I also enjoyed um, the uh, the man, the very first man who uh, died, his dog is barking like uncontrollably, <laughs> but he's not actually doing anything. He was like whimpering, like he was being tortured um, and then barking. But the dog's just like standing there like, what the <laughs> fuck, dude? Um, but the audio is like the dog's like freaking out. <laughs> yeah. Did any of the dogs die in this film? Did we lose any dogs? Um, I don't think so. No, I was um, yeah. I kind of like, especially in kind of films like this, um, when you see a dog, my, your first instinct is always, oh, that thing's a fucking goner. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that in the morning when they go to find uh, the old man, I think that uh, old faithful Casey is still tied up outside. That's true. Yeah. That, that's true. Although there are some tangential dog deaths that we do hear about because Dawn phones Mike in a real tizzy because they've found some dead dogs and some dead chickens, weirdly, oh, in the yeah. sewer. Yeah, they do. They find the dead dogs in the sewer. You are right. So the slugs happen so eating that was, dogs. So uh, that was post-treaty between the dogs and the slug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, you know those, those sewer chickens? <laughs> <laughs> sewer chickens yeah. finding the dead dogs yeah. yeah i think that um i think we're kind of pretty much covered pretty much everything i think here i think more or less much. I think more or less um unless anyone wants to give any more time to the kind of city planning plot line which i do not what i would like to just quickly say on that much is that uh just about anyone at any level of higher office in this film is a terrible person and could have, oh, yeah. could have helped this come to an early conclusion far sooner. Oh, yeah, like not just bad at their jobs, just like straight up kind of bad people a lot of the time. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Everyone. I think the scientist is the only one that I'm not like, you're just a horrible person. It's- no, they all are. They all feel like they have some level of terribleness to them or they're <laughs> bad at their jobs. Except Don. Don. Yeah. Comes across, I mean, like, he, he genuinely loves his family and his wife and is just a really good guy, and then he dies. Well, she's also, uh, there's also a good teacher. She's a, uh, uh, what's her name? I forget the character's no, name. No, but, but she has her moments, Kim. too. I mean, she just wants to teach, even though the kids hate her. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's fair to say at this point that Don and Kim are the kind of, like, the real heroes of the piece here. Yeah. I do have a slight issue yeah. with the way women are portrayed in this film. They're all portrayed a, a bit kind of, they all feel very lame and limp. Like, um, mm-hmm. Maureen, I think her name is, David's wife. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. She has this weird uh, moment where she, apropos of nothing, comes up and sits beside him and says to him something to the effect of, I'm sorry for being a constant bitch, I don't want to lose you. Yeah. yeah. I've seen nothing to illustrate her bitchiness, particularly. We were also confused by her cheerleader jacket. Same, oh, yeah. same. Yeah. Because I was like, how long has it been since it's like 30 years? Like the jacket's still in beautiful condition. <laughs> um, but yeah, she she hasn't been a cheerleader for a while. Yeah, I think it's fair. Maureen's a really interesting character, actually. Could have done with more. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. 
I also like that the scientist guy, John, is portrayed in that real kind of Professor Frink way, where uh, like he's mm-hmm. really weak, he can't open a manhole cover, like he's quite bumbling and kind of useless towards the end. But he can recognize slug gut parasites like nobody's business. Sure can. Sure, he's not. Uh, he's maybe not the expert we wanted, but he's the expert we've got. <laughs> <laughs> we've been we've been looking to talk about this one for quite a while. Um, we have, we have regular well, listen. Thanks, guys, for having us uh, oh. to join you on the slug journey. Oh, good lord, that has been a slippery old time. But yeah, regular listeners will know that this is the the film that catapulted us doing this podcast, Mitch. And uh, yeah, it's lovely to speak about it. It's always great to watch it, and especially nice to speak to you guys about it. Oh, thank you so much. We love this movie so much, and it's an honor to to speak to to speak to people who um, give it just as much appreciation as we do. Yeah, um, I th- yeah, it's unsurprising, I think, to anyone to know that we've that we're unanimous in our support of this one. <laughs> um, guys, before we wrap up, um, you guys have quite a lot going on, and I want to touch on some of it. Um, first off, uh, all the creatures were stirring, which um, the Christmas anthology that you guys co-wrote and directed. Yes. Um, so I was actually I was in the room for the UK premiere of this. I caught it at the Soho Horror Festival. Oh, that's awesome! Um, which I, and I, I thought it was great. I I, um, I really enjoyed it. I think that um, I, I think all the segments hold up really nicely. Qu- good to see so many of our former guests and <laughs> yeah, I got, yeah, I got a couple of a couple of old guests on <laughs> the show: Graham Skipper and Matt Mercer, people like that. Um, oh, we love Graham and Matt. Do you want to talk a little bit about that film just in general? Yeah. So um, that one we made over the course. Um, it took a while to make because I gave birth midway through shooting. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's enough to slow had- anyone down. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It, it, we had to stop for a, a little bit and then um, got back to work, but it, it took a little bit longer than it would usually take to make a movie because of that. Um, and uh, yeah, that one we made with um, Fallback Plan Productions, who did um, Absentia and Oculus. Oh, yeah. oh, nice. And um, just two absolutely wonderful guys, Morgan Peter Brown and Joe Wicker. And um, yeah, we we knew that we wanted to do um, a Christmas anthology. So after that, we started kind of crafting it to what we had readily available that could work within the budget range and uh, trying to make sure that everyone felt drastically different from the others. Like we knew that we wanted every segment to be different. Try to do original takes on uh, some some Christmas tropes. Yeah, we didn't want a killer Santa. We didn't (laughs) want a Krampus. Like we knew immediately um, what we kind of what trips what tropes we had seen in uh, Christmas horror a lot that we didn't want to rehash. So then trying to find stuff that was starkly different from any of those. And um, it came out here in the States last Christmas. And hopefully um, we played a couple of festivals around the UK last year. Um, and hopefully we will be doing a full release um, around Christmas of this year. Fingers crossed. That'd be right cool. now Excellent. in the US we are on uh, Shudder. Yeah, in the US we're on Shudder. And uh, you can also find us on Amazon yeah, and iTunes. Box. And I don't think we're in Redbox anymore. Uh, I think that was a limited run. And don't go to Redbox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, yeah, something else. Um, a Lifetime film on the way. Yeah, so um, Dave and I got asked um, to work on a Lifetime film. Um, it was uh, last fall we did it. And um, it was essentially uh, when they approached us about it, they were like, it's like the stepfather, the Terry O'Quinn movie. They were like, it's basically the stepfather, but with a grandmother. <laughs> and Dave and I are such huge fans of um, the film and that setup and all the thrillers that came out in the 80s that we were like, oh, hell yeah, we'll do it. And it is. It's very much um, about a, a older woman who um, is a psychopath and kind of inserts herself into these families' lives, insisting that she's somehow related to them and then kind of takes them apart, trying to make it the perfect family. And uh, so, yeah, we we ended up um, making that last uh, winter and it premieres on Lifetime in the States um, this coming Saturday on the 18th of May. And it's now under the name Psycho Granny. Um, (laughs) And this was news to you, wasn't it? How did we go from, I think that at one point it was lineage of lies, which sounds classy, and then we were the grandmother, and then we were granny's home for a while, um, and now we're psycho granny, which sounds crazy exploitation, but I'm kind of okay with that. Um, 
Like it really is a fun title. And even though, um, I mean, and Joe Bob Briggs actually a couple of weeks ago, um, when he was talking, um, made a comment about how somebody had asked about like where current exploitation films are, is the exploitation market dead? And Joe Bob said, no lifetime. That's literally what they do. So you know what? I'll take it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And the movie, like, even though that most people think of Lifetime as doing these more kind of domestic thrillers, Mm -hmm. it's a horror film. Like, it has a higher body count than all the creatures does. (laughs) We literally beat a person to death with a tea kettle. So wonderful. Lovely. Yeah, so it's fun. And obviously, uh, Rebecca, Shockwaves is ticking along. We love Shockwaves. We talk about it every week because, as we've already mentioned, Mitch hasn't seen anything so he's working his way through the shockwaves 100 oh perfect that is amazing that you're using our list as kind of the go-to um we argued so much to come up with this <laughs> um, um yeah I'm, I'm i think i think i'm 73 deep at this point that's awesome oh my <laughs> God, you guys will be thrilled to hear that no we've been doing um shockwaves now for well over 100 episodes and then we've got um killer pov was our yeah, incarnation right. yeah. show that existed before that so essentially, I have been sitting in a room talking with those guys every week for the past seven years Jeez. now. Um, so yeah, it's insane. Um, and we still keep going and find, and we still never get tired of talking to each other and finding new discoveries and um, everything. So, and I'll be talking about slugs this week as well. Oh, so wonderful! Warm it there. <laughs> and uh, now you have a, another podcast on the Fangoria Network, the kind of newly formed Fangoria Podcast Network. Yeah. So since I've been at Fangoria um, for over a decade um, under the, the prior owner, um, once uh, Fangoria shuttered its doors, I went on to work at Blumhouse for a while. And a uh, new company came in, Cinestate, owned by Dallas Sanye, purchased the Fangoria brand and reopened it. Um, with kind of a completely new mission, new staff, new everything. Um, but I was honored that they re-asked that they asked me to join the family again, um, this time as a podcast host. Mm-hmm. And so I'm doing Nightmare University there, which is based off my day job, which is at USC. Um, both Dave and I are professors at USC um, when we're not making movies yeah. and doing podcasts. And so um, I knew I kind of wanted to play with the idea that I I teach horror as an academic course. I have for years before I even got to USC, I was teaching it at other universities. Um, So it's really academic where we will either break down a small niche area of horror film history where we will specifically look at the Aquatic Horrors of 1989, which is like five films. (laughs) Or um, this week, the one that's coming out this week, I look at the idea of genre how we use genre within the horror industry and then kind of um, how genre is such like an amorphous form, but how we still have to keep using it. And then how the idea of subgenre becomes really important as well. So it gets really academic and heady, but I'm having a blast doing it. Blast. And yeah, so that's uh, been going for a couple of weeks now. Cool. Excellent. And Dave, Fear Initiative. Uh, yeah, we're actually getting ready to start up season three of Fear Initiative. Oh, this right. is a RPG podcast that I, I do with a great group of players. We've got some new cast members that we're going to be coming on board. Uh, no date yet, except right. for when we're going to release, but season three is coming up soon. That's super, cool. Super. Awesome. Guys, this has been a pleasure. Um, where can people keep up with you and what you're up to on social media? I'm under Rebecca McKendry on everything. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook. I may even have a Snapchat account, but I don't use it, so don't go there. Uh, yeah, same thing. I don't. I have Snapchat. I don't go there. But uh, <laughs> on Twitter, I am Die Dave Die, and Lovely. on uh, on Instagram, I am Di McKendry. Cool. Yeah. Dim Kendry. Cool. Dim Kendry. Dim Kendry. <laughs> Cool. Just Dave McKendry on Instagram. Yep. David McKendry on Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. But Die Dave Die on Twitter. Guys, thanks so much for taking the time to do this with us. Oh, no problem. Thank yeah. you, guys. Thank you. So after talking about shockwaves literally every week on the show for about maybe the last 40 or 45, <laughs> um, really cool to have Rebecca and Dave McKendry join us this week. Oh, massively cool. And you still haven't finished the fucking list. I know, but, you know, 73, man. Come on, give me a break shocking (laughs) big thank you though to rebecca and dave mckendry for joining us to talk slugs this week giving us an excuse to talk about slugs not that we need one yeah and mitch would you recommend slugs to people (laughs) would i yes yes get it watched 
yeah, just go and watch it immediately. I think it's available just about everywhere. It's Literally a, everywhere. I think it's on Shudder in the UK. I think it might be on Amazon Prime. I think it might even be on YouTube. Yeah, yep, I believe you're right on all counts there. But I would say pay for it. And Rebecca mentioned in the recording the Arrow Video Blu-ray release which is what we watched. Mm-hmm. It's out there and it's great. Yeah, and uh, of course, keep an eye out for um, All the Creatures We're Starting, Rebecca and Dave's film. Yeah, and if you're not listening to Shockwaves, then you probably should be. Yeah, get on that. If you, I was going to say, if you, like what you, if you like what we do, you'll like them. They're much smarter than we are. Oh, incredibly, yeah. I mean, and there's <laughs> far less jokes about bums and boobs, although there was quite a lot in this episode. Yeah, if you set your mind to it, Andy, you can cram them in anywhere. Yeah, sure. The jokes, not the boobs. But I guess that's it for another one. But fear not, we're never gone for long. Yeah. We'll be back once again on Monday with another mini-sode. We'll be doing all the usual stuff on there. Do I really need to tell you what that is at this point? I think you probably should. Well, okay. We will be talking about what we've been watching. We'll be tracking my progress through that very Shockwaves 100. Taking a look at your feedback, letting you know everything you need to know for next week's episode, and, of course, also playing yet another round of Mitch's Pitches. And how are the listeners' pitches looking, Mitch? Shaping up pretty nicely, as oh, always. Oh, 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 I can barely contain as myself. As always. I can barely contain myself. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, though, in the meantime... By all means, feel free to do so. We love hearing from you. Facebook and Instagram, Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. And you can also email scenes at gmail.com. Yeah, drop us a message. Tell us that you like us. Say hello. Tell us that you hate us. If you want to. Although yeah. we probably won't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, just say hi. Yeah, and uh, Andy, where can people listen? Uh, I think I'm going to stop bashing Spotify. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I'm going to give them a chance to redeem themselves. There's two strikes. Everything seems to be going kind of as expected. Yeah, that's cool. Good, so good. So I've taken my foot off the, the, the kind of hate throttle a little bit. Okay, <laughs> good, good, good. We're um, pacifistic people here. So we'll start with that. You can get us on Spotify. You can also get us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Acast, TuneIn, Stitcher, and our home at Podbean. And whichever one of those you're using, if you're feeling generous, go and throw us a little bit of uh, a little bit of love, a rate, review, subscribe, like, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, do that. Over and above anything else, please just keep listening and keep telling your pals. If you think people might like it, all that kind of thing. But over and above anything else, genuinely, really, seriously keep listening <laughs> yeah and thank you to everyone who has been listening again as we've said a million times if you weren't listening there'd be no point in us doing this we'd just be sitting in a room talking like we did so often before we started doing this yeah it is comforting to know that there's some of you out there so thank you very much for that <laughs> yeah but we're back monday join us then if you can and in the meantime don't forget you don't have the authority to declare happy birthday goodbye pencil pusher You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain, production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. <laughs>